On this episode of Inside Boxing Live, we recap a great weekend of fights headlined by Jamel Charlo's destruction of Brian Castaño to become undisputed at 154 pounds. Zerto Ramirez was in action. Boots Ennis was in action. Sergey Kovalev was in action. We talk about it all and more coming up next. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another edition of Inside Boxing Live. I am your host, as always, Dan Canobio, and we are presented by John Boy Media. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see this new sweatshirt that I am rocking that is now available at the JM merch, uh, the JM shop. Go over to John Boy Media backslash shop and buy this hoodie. It's very nice, it fits well, and very very cool too so shout out to the graphics team here at john boy media for creating such a cool sweatshirt and we have a lot of other great merch over at the uh, jm john boy uh store great show we have planned for you today it's going to be just myself rocking out uh recapping a great weekend we saw jamel charlo do the damn thing a great fight this is going to be in the contenders uh in contention for for fight of the year not going to win fight of the year, but it's going to be in in the top five, top ten at the end of the year. Jamel Charlo picks up a tenth round stoppage of Brian Castaño, back and forth action. Uh, things really heated up in the third round. Fourth round was outstanding. Fifth round, another in contention for round of the year. Uh, just you kind of like forget how great back and forth action is in a 50-50 type of fight. Throw in the fact that all the titles were on the line. Throwing the fact that this was a rematch. This is boxing at its best. We are on quite a run now. If you look at the last six to seven weeks, outstanding. And this was an exclamation point on a lot of things. An exclamation point on Jamel Charlo's career, because I believe it's the best performance of his career. Maybe an exclamation point on this back and forth era at 154 pounds over the last five to seven years that we've seen uh, under the PBC banner. Uh, we'll get a little bit more on that. Uh, but all in all, a, a great, great performance from Jermel Charles. you got to start putting this guy in the discussion for pound for pound list. I know pound for pound right now is being discussed ad nauseum. Um, the list has kind of jumped the shark. Uh, what does it even mean anymore? Blah, blah, blah. I'm not going to get into all that. But if you're thinking of the top 10 best fighters, top 10 most exciting fighters, maybe we should just do that with the pound for pound list. Make it who do you love to watch fight? Jamel Charlo has to be on that list because he showed you a little bit of something, a little bit of everything on Saturday night, whether it was beautiful boxing, you know, he stayed off the ropes and he jabbed more, whether it was power punching. He threw 16 more punches per round in this fight than his career averages. You know, if you listened or last week or you watched my preview video, I said in order for Jamel Charlo to win, he's got to stay off the ropes, he's got to jab, and he's got to up the volume. He did all three of those and he won the fight. We know he has that clutch gene. That's eight stoppages in his last 11 fights. He has won titles. All his, the titles that he has won have won by KO. That is just something right there. He became the first undisputed champion at 154 since Winky Wright. First in the four-belt era. In the whole four-belt era... I mean, yeah, it's great because it means that you, you know, you've beaten four champions or you've beaten the guy that's beaten a champion, but that's more of a, I look at that term as just like, ugh, you know, four belt era. Like, we shouldn't even have four belts. We, these organizations are trash. 
I tweeted out something on, on Saturday because it just made me sick. I mean, it, 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 they take sanctioning fees. We know this. WBC, the WBA, the IBF, the WBO, they take 3% on every title fight. So that means in an undisputed fight, you're looking at 12% of Jamel Charlo's purse went to those four commission, uh, organizations. And did you see what's going on at 140 pounds now? Do you see who they have as their uh, number one and number two at, at 140 pounds because Josh Taylor just got stripped? I have to pull it up right here. It's, it's ridiculous. The WBA's top two at 140 pounds, Alberto Puelo and Ismael Barroso. Nothing against those two fighters, but how are they number one and number two in the WBA 140 when the WBC has a totally different uh, rankings? Like, you know, where's the top? Where's Regis Progre? Where's Jose Ramirez? Where's Jose Cepeda? Why aren't they ranked in the top of the That just shows you what goes on with these organizations. I can go on and on and on. I really don't want to do that. But the whole four belt everything, it's a great accomplishment because you have to put up with a lot of headaches. You have to put up a lot of BS, Jamel Charlo. You have, everything has to go right, too, because you have to be all under the same umbrella. There's a reason why 154 pounds is one of the best divisions in boxing because it's giving us these top matchups year after year. You know, the, the top guys fighting the top guys, and you've seen these belts change hands. You've seen uh, winners change, uh, you know, from fight to fight. This could be the end of an outstanding run at 154. Jamel Charlo is talking about going up to 160, which I don't know if he's 100% going to do that. If he takes a look around at what's going on at 160. But could this be the end of this outstanding round robin that we've seen at 154? Whether it was the Charlo fight, uh, two fights with Castaño. Whether it was Charlo versus Lubin, which was what, 2017? Lubin Fondora, Lubin Rosario, Lara Castaño. Williams versus Rosario, Jared Hurd versus Williams, Hurd versus Harrison, Charlo versus Harrison, Hurd versus Lara. I mean, it's just been one great fight at 154 after the other. And I've said this before. It's like if every division in boxing played out like 154, it would be great. You know, it kind of shows you like what boxing could be. If everyone was under one umbrella and the best had to fight the best. Because is it like the most talented division? No, no. You know, Charlo obviously is a guy that's probably going to be in, in the elite class now. But it just shows you that if the, if the when the best usually fight the best, you're going to take losses. And it's fine. As long as you give fans good fights, as long as you, you know, make a, a good account of yourself, you're going to put on a good show. And the belts are going to change hands and it makes things exciting. I wish every division was like 154. I guess the closest thing we have is maybe heavyweight. You know, but, uh, but Tyson Fury is a, is a dominant force in there. But the other, you know, we've seen some, some movement with some of the other belts. You know, Usyk upsetting AJ, Ruiz upsetting AJ, belts changing hands. But, I mean, outstanding performance from, from Jamel Charlo. Doing everything he had to do. Throwing 56 punches around, 16 more than his career average, threw 25 jabs per round. Didn't really land them, but that jab was there, and it helped set up those power shots. And he stayed off the ropes. He started chipping away at Castaño at the end of the fourth round, end of the fifth round, end of the sixth round. There's a few rounds where at the end of them, he had Castaño wobbled. And credit to Castaño, because he fought his ass off. He, he was stunned at the end of those rounds, and he was still firing back, finding a, a home for the, those right hands. He must have hit Charlo with five or six clean right hooks. That's one thing about Charlo that I did not like in this fight. His defense was a little... Uh, you know, had some holes in it. He's one of the best defenders at 154, only gets hit with 8.7 punches around. He got tagged a bunch 
in, in this fight. It's obviously, I think it was the most punches he's ever been hit with because Charlo, uh, Castaño set that in the first fight with 173. I believe he was hit with 193. But that's because Charlo was willing to mix it up more. He was willing to stand there and brawl and box, um, which makes him really hard to beat. You know, if he can continue to do this, you know, mixing perfectly boxer-puncher, you know, I, I, I think his defense will, will continue to improve. But if he can stay off the ropes, he can box. You know, obviously we know about the game-changing power. He's going to be really hard to beat at 154. You know, I think he'll, he'll give Fondora problems. I think he would wipe out Tim Zhu. And that's obviously what's next for him at 154. I, I think Charlo is going to look around at what's going on at 154 and what's going on at 160. 160 is barren. 160 is a wasteland. It's not what it once was. Middleweight division is one of the, most, the glamour divisions in boxing. Not anymore. I mean, Triple G has two of the belts, and his next fight is going to be at 168. You got Demetrius Andrade, who just you know pulled out of a fight with an injury, but his next fight is supposed to be at 168. He's one of the other champions. And who's the other champ? Uh, Charlo. I don't think Jamal Charlo will be fighting Jamal Charlo because I expect Jamal Charlo to go up to 168. So I think Charlo will take a, Jamel Charlo will take a look around at the landscape and see what are the biggest fights that I can make. Because a lot of times when you win the four belts, when you come undisputed, your mandatories come knocking, and usually they aren't good mandatories. They are not good opponents. They are nothing that's going to make you money. That's not the case at 154. Jamel Charlo could fight Tim Zhu next because he is one of the WBO mandatory. That is a big money fight. They do that in Australia, they do it here, wherever. It is a big fight because Tim Zhu brings a large audience with him, and I think that Charlo will win that fight. Or he can go the WBC route, which is Sebastian Fondora. Still a big fight. Not as big as a Zhu fight. Will be tough. Will be a really tough fight, yes. But I expect Charlo to win that one. Or you can take a look at what's going on at 160, what I just highlighted, where, you know, two of the belt holders are not fighting in that division anymore. What's going on with that? Are they going to strip Golovkin? Are they going to strip Andrade? Because then Jamel Charlo could potentially fight for a vacant belt. But it's going to take between the two brothers figuring out what they're going to do. Is, is, is Jamal Charlo, who fights next month, going to officially move to 168? Because if he does that, then that could open the door for, for Jamel to go to 160. But I think he should stick around at 154. There's some big money fights there. Winnable fights. Now, defend that undisputed belt. We don't see a lot of that guys defending their undisputed belt. You know, Josh Taylor did it, and he, I thought he lost that fight, and he just got stripped by the WBA. What's next for Castaño? A lot of options. This guy is a fun TV fighter. He can fight Tim Zhu. He can fight Fundor. He can fight Tony Harrison. You know, he can wait, sit back and, and wait, you know, take some time off because, you know, he took a beating. He can sit back and wait and see what happens with Spence and Crawford. Imagine Errol Spence versus Brian Castaño. Woo! Imagine Terrence Crawford versus Brian Castaño. Perfect styles meshing. Castaño versus Spence would just be two guys throwing 70 punches around. You know, who's got the better chin? They both have really good chins. Oh, man, I'm getting excited thinking about that fight. But I think if Castaño stays at 154, there's a ton of good fights. You know, Jarrett Hurd is looking to get back into the mix. Guys moving up from 147 under the PBC banner. Castaño's in a really good spot. He had a good account of himself. He fought really hard, fought tough to the end. Had a great moment afterwards with Charlo, which I love. There was a lot of, um, there was a lot of talk between the two.
got a little, you know, bringing in countries and stuff. But afterwards, they hugged it out. And I love that. I know that I think Castanio partied with Charlo after the fight. But there's a lot going on for Castanio in his career. You know, he is a guy that I think fans are, are willing to watch again, and he can make for some uh, really good fights. But I think Jamel Charlo needs to be in your pound-for-pound pound list, whatever. I think he needs to be looked at as a top 10 fighter in boxing. And Derek James, come on. Derek James is the trainer of the year. He's got Errol Spence, and he's got Jamel Charlo. And I know he's got a ton of great fighters on the come-up in that Dallas, Texas area. You know, this isn't a guy that just handed fighters, you know, when they're made it to the title level or banging on the door for a title. He grooms fighters from the start of their career until what you see now. Look at what he did with Errol Spence. He's, you know, if Errol Spence beats Terrence Crawford at the end of this year, Derek James could have two undisputed champions at the same time. The game plan that he had for Errol Spence versus Ugas was picture perfect. Getting, not only that, just getting Errol Spence back from the car accident, guiding him along, because trainers, as we know, are, they're not just trainers in the ring. They are, like, your best friend. You're with them more than your family. You know, spiritually, all that. And the game plan that he had for Ugas, getting him to throw close to 80 punches around, having him that ready, impressive. And then the adjustments that uh, Charlo made in this rematch. Upping the pace, boxing beautifully, move, you know, moving around in the ring. And the instructions that he gives in between rounds are, are, are beautiful. I love that Showtime shows you. They don't show it live. and Not a lot of these networks are showing what goes on in the corner as it happens. You know, Showtime puts together a package at the end of the fight. Uh, Matchroom puts it out as a whole separate video. Afterwards, we got to get back to that, showing what goes on in, in between the corners. Because there was one moment where they showed Derek James, I think it was like the eighth or eighth or ninth round where Charlo stunned Castaño and then he just sat there and watched and didn't pounce and Derek James said come on man you had him hurt but why did not you sit there and watch why did not you admire your work so Derek James isn't isn't afraid to tell you um the hard truth in, in, in between rounds and, and I love that so he has to be trained of the years a guy that um for some reason I know Canelo and Eddie Eddie Reynoso got a lot of attention last year Tfimo senior uh, but Derek James slowly uh, but surely has been one of the best trainers in all of boxing. So it's nice to see him get his just due. It's nice to see Jamel Charlo get his just due, a guy that's doing it the right way, uh, has beaten everyone that they put in front of him. You know, he avenged both of his, his losses. Tony Harrison avenged it in the rematch with an, a knockout. Brian Castaño fought to a draw, avenged it in a rematch. So <clears throat> Jamel Charlo's doing a little bit of everything, and he's got that killer instinct. He's got that <coughs> drive. You know, even after the fight, he went after Mike Coppinger, uh, <coughs> excuse me, in the post-fight interview. So even in his highest moment where, you know, all the glory, got all the belts, all the adulation, he's still going after media. He's still going after Mike Coppinger, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Uh, Boots Ennis. Wow. Where do we start with Boots Ennis? Jerron Ennis, easily the most hyped fighter in boxing. But everything is showing you that the, the, he might exceed the hype. He gets the job done. KO2 of Castillo Clayton, another guy that had never been stopped. Sergey Lipinets never been stopped. Boots Ennis got him out of there. Castillo Clayton never been stopped. Tough, durable welterweight. Didn't even look like he was on the same level as Boots Ennis. Didn't even look like he wanted to be in the ring with Boots Ennis. He bit hard on that feint. A punch right on the top of the head, right above the ear. Legal shot. Knocked the equilibrium off of Clayton. He's stumbling over the place. 
Boots Ennis gets the win. He looks right over at uh, Errol Spence, who was ringside, tried to do the whole fishing. Big fish, I'm going to reel you in. I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> because Boots is a pretty nonchalant guy. He almost makes it look super easy in there. Uh, Corey Urban, our friend, just wrote a great story on him in boxing scene where he almost makes it look easy. You know, he's got a pretty, you know, calm, cool, collective uh, demeanor about him, Boots, but he is lethal in the ring. Great jab. Great. He's great at keeping that distance. He's a big welterweight, too. Great at establishing distance, and then he fires these, like, quick, you know, power right hands, almost like how Golovkin punches down on you. That's, I think, what... Uh, Clayton has done so far, excuse me, Ennis has done in his career. Just quick power shots, blistering uh, jab. Defense, we don't know about his defense yet because he, he's yet to be in there with a big puncher. Um, but we're going to see. We're going to learn because now he's the mandatory for Errol Spence's IBF belt. Um, <clears throat> and Errol, I've seen stuff online that Errol Spence needs to – you know, Errol Spence didn't react at all. You know, Errol Spence laughing at <coughs> Boots Ennis. Come on. Errol Spence was in the same exact position as Jerron Ennis in 2016. No one wanted to fight Errol Spence when he was knocking everyone out when it was clear that he was the next guy at welterweight. So what did he do? Errol Spence played the mandatory game. It's the only thing you can do in boxing when no one wants to fight you when you don't have a big promoter behind you. Well, Errol Spence had a big promoter. But Boots Ennis is kind of in line with PBC. You know, he's working with some other promoters. But when I hear people say that, like, oh, I need to see Boots fight someone. I need to see him fight someone worth something. He's fighting bums. No, he's not fighting bums. He's fighting top 15-ish welterweights. Thomas DeLorme was going off a big win. Castillo Clayton's ranked in the top 15. Sergey Lipinets. No, he's coming up from 140. But a good fighter. And he's making these guys look like they don't even belong with him. And he's doing the mandatory game. So now he is the mandatory for Errol Spence's IBF belt. Obviously, we know Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford are, are getting closer and closer to a fight. That's the fight we all want to see. But you can't knock Boots for going this route. You know, he's going to have to either find a Keith Thurman type or an Ugas, overpay them. Like crazy overpay. And where is that coming from? PBC, are they really behind Boots? They should be. But he's in that position we've seen so, so often in boxing <clears throat> where you have to play the mandatory game you have to just you know fight the next guy that's next guy up until you're in a position that Errol Spence was in when he had to go over to Sheffield England fight Kell Brook take that belt and he hasn't looked back since so I think deep down inside Errol Spence respects Boots Ennis because when he looks at Boots Ennis he sees a little bit of himself a few years back do I think Boots is going to fight Spence or Crawford probably not because Crawford and Spence are probably going to fight and maybe I wouldn't be shocked if they fight fought twice wouldn't be shocked if one of them or both of them moves up to 154. Most likely, Jerron Ennis is going to be fighting for a vacant title at 147. He's going to win that, and then we're going to see him become the man, him call the shots. Guys are looking to fight him. So that's, that's just the, the circle of life in, in boxing. Uh, that was the Showtime card. It was a really long fill that they had to do uh, because Castaño... I think it was late to the venue. It was really bad traffic outside of Southern California. Who could believe it? Uh, and, and then he had a problem getting in the venue, so it was late. Uh, shout out to Showtime for doing a, a fill. Got me thinking about that legendary uh, break that we had before the second Golovkin-Canelo um, fight where they had a 90-minute fill. And, you know, being around the production, being around HBO all these years, uh, 
they plan for things like this. You know, they have almost an hour or an hour and a half worth of graphics, talking points, fill material, and they did it. You know, Jim Gray was working. Uh, that, the good thing, they had a lot of celebrities. LL Cool J interviews, Stephen Jackson interviews, Sugar Ray Leonard. Uh, they interviewed just about everyone. You know, they had Morrow do stand-up with Al and Abner Maris. I mean, that's just the part of the sport, which is just funky. You know, it's, it's not a team sport where, you, you know, you're playing at 7 o'clock. You know, things can happen because Daniel showed up late. Was it mind games? Who knows? That was the case over on Showtime. Really good triple header. I love the fact that it wasn't on pay-per-view. Over on the zone, we saw an interesting car. We saw a guy knocked flush out of the ring. Uh, that was interesting. Uh, we also saw in the main event, Zerto Martinez. Uh, why do I keep calling him Zerto Martinez? Zerto Ramirez versus Dominic Bosel. And this was another mandatory uh, that the IBF thought was uh, worthy. Dominic Bosel. No, no offense to Dominic Bosel, but you are not uh, at the championship level, and Zerto Martinez made that pretty evident in this fight, uh, getting a pretty quick stoppage. Uh, how about Zerto rehydrating to 202 pounds on Saturday night after the weigh-in? That is a big man in there, big light heavyweight. Uh, but I would say light heavyweight Zerto is nothing like the super middleweight Zerto that we saw for years, you know, kind of boring uh, decision wins. He's more aggressive at light heavyweight. He takes more chances. I feel like he knows his career is on borrowed time. Like, he's running out of time to get these big fights. Um, he's running out of time to curry favor with fans. So he's going to go in there and look to score knockouts, you know, fight that Mexican style. And I would say right now, light heavyweight picture is looking pretty good. Uh, Canelo, I think, won't be part of this light heavyweight uh, picture for at least another year, 18 months. So if you take a look at the top four at lightweight, uh, whether you have Bivol or Better Bev, number one or number two, uh, Better Bev is fighting Joe Smith, who's also in the top four. That's set for June 18th uh, here in New York City, and that's for three belts. Dimitri Bivol just came off of one of the best wins of the year, beating Canelo. So he, he could be the shot caller in this division, despite only having one belt. Then you got Zero Ramirez. I would say he is in the top four, whether you, you know, maybe not on skill, but just on name recognition and making the biggest fights between these four guys who are all on the north side of 30, who are all looking for big fights. So if Better Bia fights Joe Smith, why doesn't Zerto fight Bivol? <laughs> In a perfect world, that would happen. And these are all fun fights. The winners can all fight the winners. Losers can all fight the, the losers. You know, make this a, a fun round robin at light heavyweight. All these guys have, you know, game-changing power. Uh, all these guys, you know, can bring us good fights. We'll also see another fun uh, light heavyweight this week, Joshua Buazzi. He's fighting Craig Richards over uh, Matchroom. That's over on DAZN. That's an afternoon show in the States uh, on DAZN. So he's in the mix as well, too. I, I know that Chris Mannix pushed for Buazzi versus Zerto. I think Zerto wants something bigger than that. I, I don't see Zerto fighting Buazzi. Maybe if you can see the, 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 the UK money. But I think Zerto's looking for a better BF. You know, he's looking for a B-Vol. He's looking for big fights here in the States, and uh, that's what I would like to see. But that was what we saw over on the zone. Uh, William Zepeda also fought this weekend versus Rene Alvarado outside of the Charlo Castaño fight. This was probably the second uh, best fight of, of the weekend. Uh, Rene Alvarado pushed Zepeda to the limit, gave him everything he could offer. I know some people had uh, Alvarado winning that fight, but let's get the uh, some realistic takes here on William Zepeda. A guy that, I, you know, maybe, you know, three, four fights ago, I thought, would you know, this guy's surefire going to be a champion one day. I think my expectations of him have changed a little bit. I think yours have changed on him as well. Fun fighter. Could still very well win a title one day down the road, you know, given that there's 
four belts in every every division. But this is now back-to-back performances where that were a little uneven. You know, I, I did not expect him to have trouble with Rene Alvarado. Alvarado's a come-forward fighter, a little long in the tooth, and Zapata was getting stung left and right. And he had trouble with, with Alvarado. But the thing with Zapata is, you know, he's a fun TV fighter. He can take two punches to land one. And he's a ferocious body puncher, great uh, work rate. In the mix at 135, we'll see what Golden Boy does next. But this is outstanding matchmaking from Golden Boy. They are, uh, have some of the best matchmakers in all of boxing. Zapata, uh, at this stage in his career, fighting a guy like Alvarado, he learned a lot on Saturday night. But maybe he pumped the brakes a little bit on, on William Zapata, but still a very, very fun fighter. Uh, over on the, what, we had a creator clash too, um, which, was also, was, which was a charity event that over in, I think it was in the Miami or Florida area, but it had all these, these creators, YouTube guys I never heard of, but we were uh, doing CompuBox for it. And it was a great event, 100,000 pay-per-view buys, all for charity, fun, guys that respected the sport, some good laughs, some good fights too, nothing like embarrassing. Uh, that was in the mix as well. Triller put on a card that was, oof, let's just say interesting to say the least. Uh, Sergey Kovalev with a win. We saw Kubrit Pulev defeat Jerry Forrest with ease, not before Jerry Forrest waited about 90 minutes because they didn't have gloves that could fit his hands. <laughs> there were three fights on, three events on Saturday night in the Southern California area. So that's safe to say this, the California Commission was taxed. They were pushed to their limits. Uh, but that's just boxing in, in a nutshell. I know all the Vargas uh, sons fought. Evan Holyfield, uh, shocking loss for him. I don't know if shocking is the right word, but Evan Holyfield getting knocked out in the second round. Uh, that was over on Triller. Triller's next event, June 25th, and it will feature big baby Jarrell Miller back from his ban of over two years for copious amounts of steroids. Not just one negative test. We're talking about three or four tests. We're talking about multiple drugs running through his system. And where we're going to wonder, or we were wondering, who was going to give him that comeback. I know Top Rank had him signed for a while and before he failed another test, but it's Triller. <laughs> who else would it be? Triller giving uh, Jarrell Miller a nice soft landing spot. We'll see how he looks without all the juice because at one time he was the busiest in terms of punches thrown per round, uh, heavyweight going. And now we know why, because he had PEDs running through his system. So we'll see uh, what type of pace, we'll see what type of opponent, because they haven't picked one out yet. All right, we're getting to a new portion on the show. Before we say goodbye, Monday Mailbag. I took to Twitter and rounded up the best questions that were sent to me. And we'll start with Luis Seja. Luis Seja asks, can Jamel Charlo unify at 160 if he moves up like he's hinted at? Just kind of touched on this earlier in the show. Take a look at the current champions at 160. It's Triple G, who now has a fight scheduled probably with Canelo Alvarez at 168. It's Demetrius Andrade, who, if he didn't get hurt, would have fought at 168 in his last fight. And it's Jamel's brother, Jamal Charlo, at 160. So Jamel's going to take some time off. He's going to look around to see what happens at 160. You know, these organizations are very slow to strip fighters. Especially a guy like Triple G, who's been the champion, you know, WBC or wherever for, for like a decade now. 
Uh, Andrade has not been stripped yet. Um, Charlo has, is talking about going up to Jamal Charlo is talking about going up to 168. Do I think he can unify? Uh, maybe. Um, you know, Jamal Charlo versus Triple G would be a really fun fight. I don't think he would stop him, but I think it would give him a lot. Um, Jamal Charlo versus Andrade would be a fun fight. I mean, that's a fight I would love to see. I mean, Jamal Charlo is a guy that wanted both of these fights. Now Jamal's going to get them. That's an interesting dynamic too. But can he unify? Sure. Uh, will it be easy? No, because they're 160 is really weird right now. Uh, let's go to Black Tower Radio. Says, does Jamal Charlo crack your top 10 all time at 154? I would say he has entered the discussion. I reached out to our Lee Groves, one of the best boxing historians uh, in the history of the sport, and his top three is Terry Norris, Mike McCallum, Thomas Hearns. That is a so, – so those are some big names. And uh, Jamel Charlo is creeping up into the top ten. And you also have to figure, you know, what's the criteria for this list because Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran – Sugar Ray Robinson, all have fought at 154 in their careers. Didn't stay there for a long time. But for, for Jamel Charlo to become undisputed, uh, to go on this run, impressive. Where does it rank all the time? He's not going to eclipse Terry Norris, Michael Callum, Thomas Hearns. And does he get into the top five? Does he get into the top seven? Maybe. But Jamel Charlo is a great fighter, and he's one of the best right now. Uh, he is the best at 154. Um, here we go from Oscar. Not De La Hoya, just Oscar. Do you believe Boots Thurman? Do you believe Boots versus Thurman will happen? I believe it happens only if PBC throws a boatload of money at Keith Thurman, like three, four, five million dollars. Because I don't see how this serves either fighter right now. Boots, for Boots, it could be a way to get a big win over a, you know, fringe top five welterweight, a biggest name on on his resume. But why would Thurman take this fight outside of getting overpaid, like seriously overpaid? Thurman is in this the game still because he wants big names. He wants Spence. He wants Crawford. He made it very clear. He's towards the end of his career. I mean, the guy has been barely holding on for the last three years. He looked good in his last fight. Uh, I'm sure he's still in shape. But I don't think he wants to fight Boots. I don't think he wins that fight. I think Boots Ennis wins that fight. Will it be a really close one? Will it be fun? Yes. But for Ennis, I think he continues to fight the Claytons of the world. If he's not going to get Spence or Crawford, you know, fight the top tennis guys. Continue to a buzz. Continue that buzz. Continue that hype. You know, fight again in like three, four months on a big PBC card. You know, maybe they can get a guy like Ugas. Ugas first Boots. But then again, Ugas broke his over a bone. I don't know when he's going to be back, but... I don't see Ennis versus Thurman happening anytime soon unless they throw a serious bag at Thurman. That's another thing, too, is Ennis isn't with the PBC officially. He is an outside promoter. So if the PBC is serious about drawing Ennis, which they should be because he is the clear-cut next guy at 147. If you take a look at 147, great division, but the top guys are all on the north side of 30. They're all either going to 154 or they're retiring. Trump Porter, gone. Danny Garcia hasn't fought in years. He's going to 154 one of these days. Errol Spence and Terrence Crawford, days at 154 are numbered because they're going to fight each other and then move up. Ugas, uh, you know, 35, 36 years old on the tail end of his career. So the next class of, of 147 
is Ennis, Virgil Ortiz, Stanionis, Butev. You know, uh, Cody Crawley. All those guys are with PBC. So PBC would be wise to keep Ennis in the mix. Uh, if they want to serve Thurman up to him, they're going to have to overpay. And that would be interesting to see because that would kind of tip their hand on where they are with uh, Boots Ennis. Uh, my boy Alvaro, or Alvaro, says, What is the best division that has the best talent with potentially great fights to be made? There are a lot of good divisions right now, and I would say for the first time in a long time, the best are fighting the best more often than not. But if I had to, to bring it down to one division, I would say it's always going to be lightweight for me. As long as Tank Davis, Devin Haney, George Cambosos, Ryan Garcia, Isaac Cruz, uh, William Zepeda, guys like that, you know, Jojo Diaz, are all in one division, that's the best division. Will they all fight each other? Mm, we don't know yet. It's nice to see Haney and Cambosos going at it. They're going to fight for, for two fights. You know, Ryan Garcia is in the mix. I don't know what's going on. Him and Isaac Cruz have been following along with that. That fight is, looks like it's gone awry uh, because, you know, Isaac Cruz says he has a big fight coming up in August. That's not Ryan Garcia. I mean, that's something to keep an eye on. I don't know what the heck's going on there. But Tank Davis, too. You know, is he going to stay at 135? Is he going to go down to 130? He's talked about that on Twitter. Um, he's talked about going up to 140. He eventually has to fight someone, you know, worth a damn. So, you know, any of these combinations of Tank finding Haney, Cambosos fighting Tank, Ryan Garcia fighting all those guys, Isaac Cruz. Lightweight's the best division in boxing, but it's just frustrating because they all haven't fought each other. So hopefully Haney and Cambosos set off a, a domino effect where they all start fighting each other because the, all the talent is at lightweight. I would say 140 is a close second. You know, they got a, that's a division with Regis Progre. Josh Taylor looks like he's moving up. Jose Ramirez, for now, because he is rumored to be fighting um, Connor Ben in, in the summer. That would be at 147. Uh, William Cepeda's at 140. Jack Catterall, who I thought beat Josh Taylor. We got Subriel Matias. We got Arnold Barboza. And then the X Factor, Tifimo Lopez, who, from what I've heard, should have a fall return uh, to the ring at 140. That is a fun division. And that's a division where all the titles are going to be up for grabs once um, Josh Terrell officially moves to 147. Fun division. So I would say 135 and 140 are the two best divisions in boxing. And a lot of those are going to see guys like Haney move up probably, guys like Tank move up. All those guys at 130 aren't there for long. 135, excuse me. Like Ryan Garcia is a big guy. I can see him going up to, to 140 one day. But, yeah, I would say lightweight. Uh, Jahir Martinez, my guy with Fight Hub. Do you think fighters actually care about the pound-for-pound pound list? I think they do. I think they don't like being left off of it. You know, talking to Shakur Stevenson um, before his fight with Oscar Valdez, you know, he says he wants to be on that top 10. Uh, Jamel Charlo went off on Mike Coppinger. Jamel Charlo made it very clear that I should be in the top 10 pound-for-pound. Um, the fighters do care because they, they want respect. And But the thing is, is like, what's the definitive list? I, I, once again, I'm talking about the pound-for-pound pound list. Like, is it the rings pound-for-pound pound list, which just dropped Canelo the sixth? Is it ESPN ringsides, which was not great? You know, so I, I think fighters just want respect. I think they do care. They want to be in that top ten. You know, they're upset when they're not in it. But uh, it's something that's not going away because it drives conversation. I brought it up three times on this show, but I do think fighters care. And finally, Four Corners Boxing asks a very important question. What can we expect from the podcast in the fourth quarter to close out the new partnership with John Boy Media? Well, good question. Uh, we can expect a lot. We can expect more shows. We can expect live shows. 
We can expect on-location shows. I'm tinkering with adding a big-name co-host. That's something that's in the works. Um, just more content, fun content. Um, just giving fight fans something different. You know, whether it's the weekend rewinds, whether it's these, it's these shows, whether it's uh, rapid reaction podcast. Uh, next week, looking to be on the road at the Barclays Center. Stuff like that. You know, going to fights. Going to be heading to some big fights in the fall. So I am enjoying my partnership with John Boy Media. Every, teaching everyone here about boxing slowly but surely. You know, having Scott Nicholson, Chris Algieri, Ryan Garcia come through the office and, you know, some of the um, employees here that don't really understand boxing or know what's going on or start to take notice. The fact that we've been on a six-month run, uh, a six-week run of great fights. I mean, take a look at it now. I think we have a little bit of a breather this week. Good fights this weekend, but nothing like we've seen in the last six weeks. Starting with Lubin Fundora, Triple G Murata weekend. What was that, April 9th? Then we went to Spence Ugas. Then we went to Fury White. Then we went to uh, Taylor Serrano, Stevenson Valdez. Right into Canelo Bivol. Right into Charlo Castagna. Have boxing ever seen a six-week run like that? Big fight after big fight. Meaningful fights. Fights where afterwards... You were satisfied, and it made you think about what could be next. Haven't had that in a really long time, and I don't see any signs of stopping. Two weeks from now, Tank Davis. I understand it's a fight that many don't think it's going to be competitive at Raleigh Romero, but it's still Tank Davis' biggest star in boxing. One of the biggest stars in boxing. And then we get right into June. Cambosos Haney, Inoue Donaire 2, Fulton Roman in a 48-hour span. Better Bia versus Smith. Bam Rodriguez versus Sorungvisai. July is looking loaded. Usyk and AJ, rematch. Things are good. Boxing is alive. So I plan to cover all of it in fun ways. Uh, and that is it for this Monday episode of Inside Boxing Live, the recap episode. We'll be back later in the week as we preview the weekend's fights. Some good fights this weekend. Bawatsi versus Richards. Uh, Jamel Herring is back in action. David Benavidez versus David Lemieux. That should be somewhat interesting if Lemieux still can punch. I expect Benavidez to win that one. And a lot more gambling content coming your way. That is something that you can expect in the fourth quarter from this podcast and this platform. Make sure you go follow and subscribe to the John Boy Boxing YouTube page. That's where a lot of my content is going to live. I'm going to be doing, I'm announcing something very cool in terms of gambling content uh, coming your way. But Boxing World, as I say every week, is buzzing, my friends. And we'll be back on Thursday to break it down even more. Thanks, everybody.